So I'm just going to keep it on from here onwards, and uh, I'll just trust you to manage that for me. Thank you, sweetheart. Friends, we've been looking at the book of Samuel, and we've been looking at what the next step for us is as a community, for us to be galvanized, to come together, to connect, to support one another, and to hold one another up. But you know, there is something about community that I was reflecting upon this week, which we see and we can do, but where for whatever reason, we have been frightened to do. And that is keep each other accountable. Now, this is one of the things that I think is so important in the Christian community because we can keep each other accountable Not necessarily by spying, you know, and looking out for what we're doing and for each other's behavior. But by being that love of God that says, you know what? When you're doing something that maybe isn't in alignment with God's will or with God's direction or with God's guidance, then it is the Holy Spirit who does that conviction for us. Are you with me, church? This is the kind of community that I want us to be. Not one that sits in judgment or that sets up rules and and systems by which we then say to everyone, hey, this is what it means to be a Christian. No. I want for us to hold up the standard. And what's the standard? The love of Christ. The cross. Friends, have you ever thought about this? This symbol here. You see, this, this is a tool of execution. This is an electric chair, a lethal injection. For those of you listening online, I'm pointing to the cross behind me. And yet we have turned it into a banner for love and peace and acceptance. How did we do that? How did that happen? Because Christ's death has meant liberty and freedom for us all. But that freedom and liberty has come at a great price. Yes, Christ gave his life. Yes, God sacrificed his son for you and I. But it's also come at the personal price. Because it's meant that you and I have had to look at our lives and say, you know what? I need this execution to have meaning for me. This is a reminder of the fact that it should have been me up there, not Jesus. And so as a result, we need to acknowledge that there is sin in our lives. There is power of sin and it works against us. But here's where the good news story comes in. Because if we repent and if we come before that throne of grace with contrite hearts, God has the power to deliver us. Last week, we looked at Samuel being called by God. A little boy sleeping under the menorah, the light of God in the very temple. Now, he calls him. And those of you who might have been paying attention, you might have heard and understood that God's call to Samuel was not easy. He gave him a hard word to tell his master. He told him to repent. He told him that there would be punishment for the things that had gone wrong in Israel. Why? Why did he do all that? Because God wanted to bring his children back onto himself and restore them. 
He wanted to deliver them from the evil that was controlling and ruling. And show them how he would overcome through his love and his grace. So friends, that's what we're going to talk about today. And I pray and hope that this word inspires something in you. Yes, that it convicts the heart and it helps us remember that as children of God, we need to be first repentant. But it also helps us understand that the love of God that we are meant to instill in others and, and, and display is a love that should also help people understand that God calls all of us to repentance and deeper relationship with Him. Are you with me, church? That's what I want to explore today. So I invite you, if you're with me, bow your heads and let us commit this time to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your your sacrifice, for your grace and for your love. We ask you, be with us and may we hear your voice keenly this day. In Jesus' name, amen. This image I've been using these last few weeks is actually of the ruins at Mizpah. The ruins at Mizpah. This is an historical site in modern-day Jordan, where it is believed water was poured out as a sacrificial offering. I see this is enjoying a fresh, refreshing water right now. Imagine pouring that out on the floor. I'm not asking you to do it. We've got carpet in here. But imagine taking the water... It's not very special. But yet, in that moment, Samuel is instructed by God to pour that water out. And he is asking Israel to be poured out like this water. I am reminded that later in Kings, when the Spirit of the Lord enters the temple... When Solomon has built the temple and it's covered in gold and it's gleaming in the sunlight, the Spirit comes in and the entire throng of Israel. I love that word, by the way, throng. It's a fun word to say. But it describes how this powerful, mighty mass of the nation of Israel was gathered at the gates of the temple. And as the Holy Spirit came in, Like a wind, they all fell to their faces to the ground. They were poured out before the presence of God. And this, what we see here with Samuel, is a prelude to that. Because friends, if we want God at work in our lives, we need to be prepared to be poured out like water on the stone. Look at those stones. Do you think those stones would hold much water? No, sorry, the ones up here. I'm pointing at my screen, but I'm, I mean, I should point at that screen. Everybody looked out the window. It was great. <laughs> sorry. You're very obedient. Thank you. Thank you. Look at those stones. Do you think they would hold much water? No. No, they would not hold water. The, the water would hit the baked stone and evaporate almost in, immediately. And likewise, we need to realize that sometimes we're poured out onto hot arid, parched soil and it soaks us up and it hurts. But didn't we sing last month, even when it hurts, I will praise you. That's what this is all about, friends. So we see in Samuel, when the ark of the Lord was returned to Israel, the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, 
Then rid yourselves of the foreign gods, of the Ashtoreths, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve Him only. And He will deliver you out of the hand of your enemy. I want to remove the political discourse out of this narrative. Because it's unimportant. It really is. What is important here is that Israel had lost the Ark of the Covenant. It had been taken by the enemy. And when they had lost it, their faith had been challenged. Their heart had been broken. Have you ever felt that way, friends? I bet you have. I bet you've had moments where your faith has been so challenged that it's like this precious thing that you had put all of your your vested interest in in your faith was suddenly taken away. Well, that's what happened. Now, I want to tell you something. This is going to be revelationary. But for the Israelites, that was a good thing. You see, they had been looking at the Ark of the Covenant and they had begun worshipping it. They had been worshipping the, the wood and the metal and the gold inlay. Not the God that it represented. So, of course, when we do that in our lives, God goes, you know what? Fine. No worries. Here you go. I'm going to take that away. Because it took the place of the worship of the Lord. And this is something we need to understand. Because whenever we take anything and we pick it up and we put it before God and go, look, God, you're great, but I want to worship this instead. The only thing God can do, the only thing is target that. And take that away. Now sometimes those are good things. Honorable things. Virtuous things. I'm not going to go into a list. But I want you to think about the many things that people, other people, put before God. And how that can be a problem. And yet we can be blinded. Completely blind to it. But here... When the ark was returned to Israel, Israel went, yay, wonderful, we've got it back. But Samuel went, "Uh uh-uh, hang on a minute. I know you're happy that you got it back. But this was a sign of the weakness that you had already sown in your community. Where you were saying, God, I don't want you. I want this beautiful little piece of furniture. And if that's here and if that's happy, then I will worship you. They made their worship conditional. Does that sound familiar at all? Because in our society, we say, I'm going to go to church if they sing the songs I like. I'm going to go to church if it is at a convenient time for me. I'm going to engage with the Christian community if they say the things I like. Not good enough. I want to go to church because God is there. You with me? And I believe God is here. I believe you know this already, people of God. I believe that He is in your hearts and at working in this place right now. And in a sense, I'm preaching to the converted. Great. But so was Samuel, wasn't he? Yet they forgot. We cannot afford to forget. We cannot afford if we know and believe that God is calling us to go out into this community. And to bring His love and His hope and His care To be agents of the change that He wants. To be there, I say, ambassadors and emissaries of His love. We cannot afford to forget. 
The beauty of this, friends, is if we do remember, then we know that the enemy will not have that power. We know that God will be there ready to deliver us from that oppression and that affliction. Samuel called Israel to the very ruins we see here, Mizpah. And he said, I will intercede with the Lord for you. This is what I feel God is calling us to do as a community for Pimpama, for Ormo, for Jacob's Well, for our families, for our friends, for our work colleagues, and yes, even for our enemies. Have you ever prayed for your enemies? I know that's a four-letter word in today's society to suggest or say that you have enemies. We have enemies. We do. We have people who actively work against us, whether it be in Christian circles in the church or whether it be in outside secular environment. We have enemies. That word just means to be against something. And that is something we need to understand. Well, I challenge you, people of God, pray for your enemies. Because your love and in your prayers, you will be heaping hot coals upon them. And in this way, God can do amazing things, not just in that relationship, but in you. Because one of the greatest things that an enemy has, and dare I say the enemy as well in that context, is power over our hearts. Power to silence the voice of God at work in our lives. Power to cause us to turn our back and say, no. That's too hard. Power to say, I want to adore a piece of furniture instead of the living, loving, real God. So they assembled at Mizpah and he drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And on that day they fasted and there they confessed. One of the things that we need to know about the Old Testament is that the Old Testament is about the narrative of how God, through his chosen people, created an avenue to bless all of humanity. That in that way, God opened the door so that he would use them as a vehicle so that his love and blessing would be upon all of the earth. This is why where the Israelites went, the ground flourished. The grasses were greener. The trees produced fruit. It's not because they were an amazing people. In fact, if you read the Old Testament very carefully, you see that more often than not, God was angry with them. It was because God's favor goes with his people. This is what we need to grab a hold of. We need to be God's people for this day and age. We need to go out into this community and see the grass go greener. See the trees fruit more. And see that be a blessing of God through us, not because of us. This is something that is so crucial for bringing together a community of Christians. Because if we start thinking, hey, hey, we're it. We've got the good gospel. We've got the good teaching. Now we can go out into the community Let me tell you, we might as well pack up, shut the doors and all go home. The Christian community is one that is centered around that God 
who redeems and forgives and acknowledges that itself, that community, needs that redemption and forgiveness. A friend of mine who was pastoring in Brisbane Northside got a phone call from a a Christian um, action group who were asking about engaging in his community. And he said, look, friends, I really appreciate what you do, but I don't feel that my congregation is ready for that kind of thing at this time. And the person on the other line was extremely put off. And they said to him, you know what? Your church is full of sinners anyway. And my friend said over the phone, yeah, but what church isn't? What church isn't? You see, we're meant to be. We're meant to be full of sinners, but we're meant to be full of sinners who are ready for that grace and that redemption. Are you with me, church? This is who we're called to be. In Genesis, we see that Abraham interceded for even the worst of sinners. He sees God getting ready to smite Sodom and Gomorrah. God is there. Now, I don't know if in your, in your mind's eye, God is sharpening a sword or getting ready lightning and thunder. Up to you. But either way, maybe he's sharpening the lightning and thunder. I don't know. I don't know what do you sharpen lightning and thunder with. But anyway, God is there <laughs> ready to smite. And Abraham comes along. And I love, I love this language. I, I read it in the original. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, wow. I'm going to give you the Esteban translation of this verse. Because it, it says, and so Abraham cuddled up to God. You with me? See, Abraham was so close to God that he could literally cuddle up to him. So intimate was his relationship. Now, Abraham had been called, hadn't he? Just like Samuel. He had been asked to repent, to sacrifice, didn't he? So this is why he could cuddle up to God. And he comes up and he says, will you, Lord? He uses this term for God that denotes God's sovereignty. Righteousness, holiness, and power. But he's right there snuggled up to him. Isn't that beautiful? What a, what a loving yet respectful gesture. And he says to him, would you indeed sweep away the righteous ones with the wicked? He's challenging God in the best way a son would. My son challenged me recently. We were playing FIFA on the PlayStation. He thought he could beat me. Didn't you, son? (laughs) And he scored a goal. He scored a goal against me. I've been playing FIFA for 20 years. He scored a goal against me. And and he comes along and he's celebrating. And he's rejoicing. Yeah, I scored a goal. I'm like, dude, it's Um, (laughs) 5-1. But I hugged him and I high-fived him like, yeah, well done. I imagine that's what God felt with Abraham in that moment. I don't know if Abraham high-fived God. I like to imagine he did, you know. Because Abraham got it. He understood it. He understood that Abraham as God's vehicle of his faith of his love was meant to be interceding for the world. 
And that's you. You are Abraham. You are able to cuddle up to God and say, God, let us make this world a better place. Let us work together to that end. Moses, Moses comes to the Lord. God is angry. Israel has sinned against him. And God's like, you know what? Stuff those guys. I don't know if God would say stuff those guys. But I'm, I'm giving you my translation of it. Just stuff those guys. You know, forget them. Moses, I'm going to take you. I'm going to take your wife. I'm going to start a whole new race of human beings with you who are not going to do this. Why? Because you, Moses, have been faithful. Because you, Moses, have listened to me. Because you, Moses, have followed me. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like, you know, Lord, I see all these people around me. And I'm like, wow, how can they get it so wrong? But it's all right, God. I'm okay. I'm with you. I'm following you. I'm obeying you. I'm connecting you. Let's just go and do this, you and I. Do you think that that's what Moses said? No, he didn't, sweetheart. He said, so you say to me, bring up these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send me. If you have said, you know, I know you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if, if I have found favor in your sight, if I am so special, show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight as I lead these people. And then consider that this nation Alongside me is your people too. He's saying, God, I'm not as good as I should be. And so are they. But that's okay, because if you want to work with me, then we will work with them together. Pimpama, Jacob's Well, or Mo, they're not perfect. They're nice areas. I was driving with my cousin. And he was just saying over and over, oh, it's beautiful here. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's not perfect, though, is it? But that's okay, because we have a God who's willing to work alongside us to see this come, to be what he needed to be. Thank you, Kimmy. The Israelites said to Samuel, do not stop crying to the Lord for God, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf. I want us to cry out to the Lord. I want us to cry out to the Lord on behalf of our families. I want us to cry out to the Lord on behalf of our community. I want us to cry out to the Lord on behalf of our enemies, on behalf of our workplace, on behalf of our schools, on behalf of our loved ones, and on behalf of those who would come against us. I want us to no longer be saying prayers in hushed whispers, but cry out to God, the God who has delivered Israel and who has delivered you and me and we know so that our souls would not suffer damnation. And I love, I love the fact that this verse ends with the words, and the Lord answered him. Friends, are you ready for God to answer you? Because if you are, we need to stop saying those hushed, soft little whispers. We need to cry out to God. And say, Lord, come, be in the midst of us.
in Romans 8, we have this wonderful passage. I know I've probably said this before to you, and I'll definitely say it again, but um, the founder of the Alpha Movement, he, he describes Romans as the high peak of Scripture. And he says, if Romans is the Himalayas, Romans 8 is Mount Everest. It is the highest, the almost inaccessible peak, the one that people have given their lives to make clear and understood for us. But here's the thing, while Mount Everest is inaccessible, harsh and judging, Romans 8 isn't. It is in fact a place for us to encounter God richly. The Apostle Paul says, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, since he, God, did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he is pleading for us. Some traditional translations use the word interceding. When we intercede for our families, for our community, we are working the work of Jesus Christ. For he is doing that for us right now. So friends, as we come together as a community, let us not come together in our acknowledgement of our mutual competition with other churches or other philosophies or other community groups. Let us come together in acknowledgement that we are to carry out the work of the living God in interceding for them, for each other, and for the world. And so I commend this to you in Jesus' name. Let us pray. Father, you are so good and we love your word. Help us live and be true intercessors of your will into our wider community. Equip us, empower us and strengthen us so that we would know those moments where we are coming under affliction and we are ready to cry out to you for deliverance. Bless us with an understanding of this, I pray in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen.